Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, Lisa Renee Pitts. Lisa is an award-winning actress and voiceover artist. Her Broadway credits include the Pulitzer Prize-winning and Tony-nominated play, Sweat. Notable off-Broadway and regional theater credits include Tiny Beautiful Things, Doubt, and Intimate Apparel, all receiving Critics Circle Awards. She was a NAACP Award nominee for A Raisin in the Sun. Her television and film roles include Dr. Dre's mother, Verna, in Straight Outta Compton, and Stephen King's The Stand. Lisa will appear in Anna DeVere Smith's seminal play, Twilight, Los Angeles, 1992, at the Mark Taper Forum in Los Angeles, California. The play explores the human impact of the L.A. riots following the verdict in the Rodney King beating. And we all know how relevant that is still, unfortunately, today. So go and check our friend out, our talented friend, Lisa Renee Pitts, at the Mark Taper Forum Theater in Los Angeles. Also returning, Abby Crutchfield. Abby, seen on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Full Frontal with Samantha Bee on TBS, Broad City on Comedy Central, and she hosted You Can Do Better on True TV. Her jokes on Twitter are consistently featured on Best of Lists by publications such as Pace Magazine and The Huffington Post. So follow her on Twitter before Elon takes Twitter away. Catch me at one of my favorite places in the world, the Vermont Comedy Club. Yes, Vermont. You know I love it. March 2nd through the 4th. If you know someone in the Burlington, Vermont area, tell them to come and check me out at the Vermont Comedy Club. I want to thank all of our listeners of Friends Like Us. Because of you, we make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto-download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast and Twitter is friendslikeus10. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip or donation. Just go to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friendslikeus. So shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you. For real, for real, we keep going. And now for our golden friends, you have the option to watch our recordings live backstage. Thank you, TB and Stacy. Go to Patreon backslash Friends Like Us and be golden. Merch is available. We have t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, face masks, and tank tops. They're all available on my website. Go to marinafranklin.com. Weekly on my YouTube channel, I go live with my assistant, Evelyn Frick. My wacky friend, Dave Jeskow. We give updates to the show. We shout out fans who leave us reviews. And we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by. Sometimes we even offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows with friends like us. It'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. Wash those dirty little hands. Wear a mask still if you want to. It's not gone. Get vaccinated. Booster up. And Black Lives Matter. I am so excited today for your guests that you're going to listen to today. And actually, you can see us now. This is a podcast where we have visuals but I only put up small portions up on YouTube, only small portions. Sometimes I put the whole episode, but that's only for our members. So, and I don't know if you know this, but backstage, we have the ability for you to watch us as well. If you're a gold member on Patreon, 
usually TB is here. He's not here today because he told us he had to take care of some stuff. But we usually have our subscribers come backstage and they add like Stace may come and they they're great. They add like a lot to the show. So it's nice to have people who are fans of the show here. But our guest today, Lisa Renee Pitts is back. Thank you for joining us. I was just telling her before we joined that I met Lisa when I was a baby actress at Syracuse University when I was getting my MFA. And um, yeah, and she was just like watching you on stage, Lisa. And I'll, I'll say it again. Like it taught me a lot. And you just have this presence on stage that is I'll never forget the first time I saw you on stage. I never I've never seen that before, like that presence and that ability to focus. And you were in our town and in what was the other one from the Mississippi Delta with Taswell. Thompson. Thompson. <laughs> yes. Do you, do yes. You know, I saw him recently. Really? Where? In Harlem. He's still directing? I think he's at another stage somewhere. He gave me his number. I never contacted him because I'm still kind of starstruck by that man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have to look him up on social media. That's so wow. You saw him. And I told him, I said, you know, and I the way I approached him, he looked like he was terrified. I was like, "You don't know me," but because uh, he was like, "You know, how you approach like people and they're sitting in there enjoying their drinks, and you're like walking up, and they're like, who are you?'" And I was like, and I uh, he was also at the bar that I fight with all the time, so, <laughs> but I was like, I worked with you on Mississippi Delta. You probably don't remember me, and so and he was like, "Oh yes," and I was like, and I just wanted to let you know, like you inspired me in so many ways and directing and and I learned so much from the Mississippi Delta, and we'll get into yeah. that in a second. I'm going to introduce our our next guest, Abby Crutchfield. Yes, comedian yes. extraordinaire. I love Abby. We were just talking about how you have the energy and. All of that to be a best, like a great talk show host, uh, mm-hmm. have your own show on one of the networks. I would, I'm going to put it out there. You should do it because mm-hmm. you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. You have everything going for you. So why not? All right. Why not? <laughs> Life is short. Do it. Hire me, everybody. Yes. So, yes. Um, Abby, where are you right now? Are you doing... Are you working on a TV show right now? I'm no, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm just doing stand up and I record a podcast with my husband now called The Kid Is in School cuz now that our daughter's in school, we get to talk about whatever we want without being interrupted. So, it's not a parenting podcast, it's just us you know, without her being like and now it's my turn. Oh my god, how old so, is she now? She's 5. She's in kindergarten now. So she's just gone the whole day at school. Oh my and, god, the time yeah. It just goes so fast. Like my niece is five too, and I'm still looking at her baby pictures. I'm like, whoa, right. it goes fast. <laughs> I know. I can't believe it. But luckily I stopped aging. She can just accelerate if she wants to, but I'm not going to go right with her. <laughs> Everybody's like, they grow up so fast. And I'm like, you mean I grow old so fast? So I decided not to. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that anymore. Now, is she reading books? Does she like reading books? Oh, yes. She was an early reader at three. So she would just read street signs to everybody or spell their shirt out to them. And they'd go, like, what are you doing? 
So, uh, so that was fun. And now she reads to herself, which is great. We're almost to the point where she'll read quietly next to me. But as long as we're in the same room, she still likes to play games like checkers and stuff. Oh my God, that's incredible. Oh. My niece, I'm trying, I finally got her to read. Like, I mean, she reads, but like to like books. Right. Read for pleasure, Ooh. enjoying it. Yeah. I was liked. giving her books as gifts and she would, she gave me the <laughs> thumbs down. <laughs> right. She'd feel the gift, be like, I know what this is. <laughs> so, and then, um, so, and Lisa, like, mm-hmm. Abby was just, talking to you about like straight out of content and yes so um what are you working on right now well actually next week i'm going into rehearsal for a production of twilight los angeles 1992 mm. um by anna de smith and um this is the Love 30th her. year anniversary of that production um, that took place after the Rodney King um, beating and the verdict that came out. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so honored to be a part of this production. I mean, with the state of the world that's going on now, and for those that don't know, her play, uh, 30 years ago after the verdict, she came here and she interviewed well over 300 people um, across Los Angeles who were really impacted by the um, verdict and just being in that um, vicinity. And these are their stories, their actual words, their actual testimonies. And she did it as a one-woman show, and now it's being done with five actors playing all the different characters. So That's I am just ecstatic, ecstatic. Congratulations. I can't wait to Thank see you. that. Thank you. That's that is one of the shows that I watched. Anna Devere Smith. She's like one of my like like. She's yeah. so like. Did she ever win like an award or a Nobel? Because she's incredible. Like when she did that, I saw her do all those characters. I've never. I mean, we talk about Saturday Night Live and people doing characters, mm-hmm. but Anna Devere Smith is uh, beyond. Anything yes. that anyone's ever done on Saturday Night Live, as far as like character, she does uh, Orthodox Man in the, in the show, or that oh that's the Brooklyn one, the Brooklyn one. I think this one is the second one, but yes, I mean her work is just out of the universe. The the technique, the um, I, I can't even put it into words. Her artistry is just brilliant. It's just brilliant, and to be a part of this, to work with her on it. Um, I'm going to learn so much. I'm going to learn so much as a person, as an artist. And that's what I'm most excited about, you know, and telling these stories. And you met her? No, I haven't. Not yet. I haven't met her as of yet. So I'll meet her during the rehearsal process. But um, I am just I got to get my cool, put my cool self on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because she's on par. I mean, I feel like this. We're losing a lot of that generation of amazing, mm-hmm. you know, um, theater performers, writers. You also did the audiobook for Toni Morrison, right? I've done a few. Yes. Um, more like the compilations of her, of, of the different works that she's done. So that's my other love, narrating my audiobooks. Oh my gosh, from all genres, from children's stories, fiction, nonfiction, sci-fi. Did a lot of social justice over the pandemic with Black Lives Matter and different things like that. And 
that's my other love. That's it's almost like being on the stage because I play all of the characters in the book that I narrate. You know, I yes. play the dog. I do love scenes <laughs> with myself. You know, I tell myself off. I have arguments, you know, like a little, you know, it, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. There's, you know, as uh, Abby, you know, like we deal with comics all the time. As you look at Lisa, like, don't you just wish we just did acting some like, like she looks <laughs> healthy, like as a human being. <laughs> well, my my concern about acting, because if you're skilled with the drama, you're going to have all these heavy, heavy emotions. And I think as a comedian, I can avoid those if I want to. Like I write the play, you know, that I'm saying on stage. So I wonder, how do you how do you inhabit those heavy emotions and recover from it afterwards? That's a skill too. You learn how to let that go. And even after the productions are over, specifically, I would think something as um, dramatic as this, even though there are some comedy monologues in this play, actually, um, you, you learn how to release it and to let it go. You live in it during the time of the play, but then you you learn skills to actually release it. I do a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation. Um, I eat the best that I can. I, you have to really just take care of yourself. But let me tell you, actors say the same thing. They're like, sometimes I just think, why didn't I just be a nurse? Let me, you know, be a dancer <laughs> right. or a comedian or something else. Mm-hmm. I, I can't take it. But mm-hmm. on the other end, when you get projects like this and to be on a podcast like this and talk to other artists, you're like, okay, no, I made the right choice in sticking with the acting. Wow. I think for us, the heavy part is driving to the gig. That's the, or driving away from it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to process all your horrible thoughts and heavy oh, emotions. Gosh. Yeah. I, I yelled at someone this weekend. Uh Oh, I yelled. I, cause I have men, I'm in menopause. I don't mind saying it now. I'm just putting it out there. So I have like rage. Like, like I used to be able to tell when not to be on stage because I would have a period. So I'd be like, okay, PMS, don't be on stage around this time. (laughs) But with menopause, you don't know. So I was on stage. Oh, girl. And these girls, these little girls were talking in the corner. And I felt like a teacher. I was just like, is someone talking? And when I say like I have this ability to scare the hell out of an audience when I get serious, I know that I have that ability to be like really scary. So like I don't do it most of the time. I try to not to do it. And it was for the first time after I did that, I go. <sighs> and the audience someone laughed so hard because I could see I was trying really hard not to because once you get angry, you lose them. You can lose mm-hmm. them, but every now and then you gotta, you just gotta let it be real up there. I'm sure. And, right. and even more so now, you know, when people have been home because of the pandemic, when they come out to a live performance, they think they're still on their couch and like, <laughs> no, this is live. I can hear you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm working it's up true. here. That's part of the issue is I think, and Abby, you can probably I mean, I'm going to ask you this. Do you feel like the audience is more interactive since the pandemic because live shows are more needed for them now than just watching someone just present an act? There is a shift. I'm not sure what it is, but yeah, it's almost as if people forgot how to act when they go out in public. 
maybe they're just so elated that they don't know when to quiet down or they drink too much too soon. You know, I don't know what it is, but I have definitely noticed this little shift in how people are behaving in the crowd. But yeah, I've noticed that they want interaction because they are bored with TV. I, I, I think we've done, we've done it, you know, the streaming of Netflix and all of that. And even for me who, I love TV. I watch too much of it. But I do notice that something real in front of you that's moving and talking to you and interacting with you is much more needed now than ever. So sometimes in when I do a stand-up show and I engage the audience, I get more, they seem to enjoy it much more than if I just go through my act without any engagement. Sometimes I'll even acknowledge the fact that I don't engage with the audience as a joke. I say, look, I don't usually do this. It doesn't go well. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> and they laugh at that because they because I was like, it can go anyway. But mm-hmm. I do feel like they yearn for that sort of communal interaction, like where it's we're all sharing in the story. It's not me just mm-hmm. presenting it. It's me presenting it. And you are a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I read an article, I forget where, but I read an article that said when an audience is together watching a performance, no matter what that performance is, the audience members, their breath starts to, they start to breathe at the same, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like Their rhythm of breath um, comes together. Unison? Everybody in unison. Mm-hmm. That's how familial and... um necessary it is to see live theater or to be with others experiencing something you know so i'm really excited this will be my first time on back on the stage since the pandemic so i'm real excited to get that energy back from the audience and even some call and response you know their reactions to what (laughs) we're saying not too much because we got to keep the show going but um (laughs) i'm really excited to just experience that energy again that's hilarious when you say not too much. It's like, Lisa, I did the Billy Holiday Theater in Brooklyn on Nostrand oh. Avenue. And when you say not too much, they too much and then some. <laughs> but it was a fun experience because I, I I will say it was like going to church. Yes. Yeah. Listen, I'm from Brooklyn, so I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever perform at the Billy Holiday Theater? Never. Well, I'll just say not yet. I have not. Not yet. Is it? I wonder about that theater. I'll look it up. I think so. I think so. Over Crown Heights? In Bed-Stuy. But I think it is still, you know, productions and such are still there. Yeah, I I remember um, my manager, my comedian manager came to the show and he was like, I've never... (laughs) He's like, I've never experienced a play like this with he goes, they were really, and I was the character they were rooting for, thank God. My character's name was Shashu. I used to do it as a joke because they were like, uh oh, here comes Shashu. Here comes Shashu. They were always talking, they were like talking to me. They were like, they didn't like um, the girl who played my sister. They were like, mm hmm. So it was a lot of that, a lot of talking, a lot of feedback. Hard yes. yes. focus, but it was enjoyable. Yes, yes. Just like church, yes. That call and response. Absolutely. I wish you all the luck 
by the way, Lisa, on that play and with, man, I wish I could be in your pocket when you meet Anna DeVere because that's yes. like a dream come true for me. I remember Absolutely. one show she did. I, I, I just moved to New York, so it had to be in the mid-2000s, but um, I sent a letter to her after backstage. I don't know if I ever got to her. I just said, could you give this to her? And it was just like, I moved to New York. And, you know, I knew about your work before I got here. It was a very glowing letter, but I, I don't know why I thought she'd write back, but I included my email just in case. And I haven't received anything from her, but I'm sure she was like, thank you, child. Wow. But it was, yeah, I just wanted to meet her. I didn't get to meet her either. But, um, but yeah, she, she makes an impression on you when you see her perform. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, good on you for doing that, though. She I wonder what all I said, you know, like probably <laughs> asked her for tips and tricks. <laughs> I want to do what you're doing. I love you. I want to be you. Now, there's another performer. Do you know Sarah Jones? Is that her name? She is a woman of color who also does multiple characters and genders and real things. Oh, yes. I've, I've heard of Sarah Jones. I think Jones, that's her yes. name. But anyhow, one person's show kind of multiple character thing is very fascinating. Her and John Leguizamo, like everybody that does that. Oh, yes. Really cool to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've, mm-hmm. yes, I have heard her. She's younger, right? Uh huh, a little bit. Yeah, I'm. I hope I'm saying her name right, but I've seen her perform. Uh, yes. uh you know what? I, American playwright. Yeah, that looks like her. But I'm That's, gonna yes. be like Travis Scott. She ain't no Anna Devere. No. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. We were just talking about why you gotta do that. Don't do that. So let's get into these topics. Okay. Mm. So since we were talking about Toni Morrison. Um, and I do want to ask you about this, Lisa, like when you were doing the audio for it, what was it specifically? It was just a compilation of her. Yes. And also like a biography, her biography as well of just telling her story and how she developed the different, um, you know, the books that she wrote and yeah. And, and bits and pieces from all of the novels that she's uh, written over the years. Did you find something new about Toni Morrison when you did that? Like when you when you do the audio? Uh, you know, just everything was new. You know, just to when you just hear about people's journey and to know that yours is no different. Everybody has their ups and downs or their moments where they might be stuck or they're passionate about something and want to get this out right. Um I just learned just that she's brilliant as well. Like we were talking about Anna DeVere Smith. Toni Morrison was one of the greatest, if not, you know, uh, just one of the greatest novelists ever. And that her works are just important. They're just important, not only for our community, but for everyone to read and to put our stories out there, you know? I remember I was introduced to Toni Morrison. I didn't know about her. I was introduced to her from my friend Zawadi Morris, who's been on the show. She does a the Brooklyn Reader newspaper mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, um, covering stories in the community of Brooklyn. Specifically, I believe that's in Bed-Stuy. And she, she was like, you don't know about Toni Morrison? I was like, no. Because I came from... I guess uh, schools where they introduce the books they want you to read, they have that reading list they give you or the ones they recommend. But Toni Morrison wasn't on that list. 
And so mm-hmm. I, and I remember at first I was like, I don't know where I'm not going to. And I remember like, why did I do that? Like, and then I picked up the book, started reading it. I forgot the, I think the first one I read was the bluest eyes. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would reread the lines because her reading, her writing is not, it's not easy. Is at it, times, right. mm-hmm. You know, and but some of the lines when you read, you're like, oh, my God, the way she put that together, the description right. is like, I don't want to compare it to Shakespeare. She's her own in her own right. She's like there, you know, <laughs> exactly. And I, I the reason I bring her up in this episode is because we're entering Black History Month and a lot of folks are banning her books now and i oftentimes i i'm just curious like what people are reading what people are doing and i and i really recommend for our listeners that are listening to this to go to netflix they have a a documentary on tony morrison that will blow you away you got to watch it it's really great anything you can get about tony morrison even the piece that you did what is, what is it called again, Lisa? Uh, oh, the name of the book? Mm-hmm. Oh, I have to look that up for you. I've got to look that up because it's been a while since I did it. I have to look that up. But I wanted to add on to what you were saying. Yes, her writing is so descriptive. I mean, you read the characters or listen to someone narrating it, and you can see the people. You can see the environment. You know, you get your own picture in your head. She puts you right in the scene or what or um, what she's writing about. And um, you you cannot not be affected by her work, by her writing. And I'm just very sad that they're taking away all of these books that are so necessary that speak to real experiences that people are going through. So that no one else can say, I didn't know. Well, here it is. You know, it it is right here in black and white writing. It cannot be any clearer as someone who did not actually experience it. But when you read her writing and many others, it's just you come away so affected, affected. So um, for me, it was just an emotional ride, you know. Um, But let me look up that title. I have to look up that title. So, Abby, have you read any Toni Morrison? You know, I had the bluest eye because in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, everybody's giving away books in their little lending libraries. And it just it was under so many that I still meant to read. So I finally donated it without reading it, thinking I'll get it from the library or it'll come back to me when I need to. So, no, I haven't read her work. I'm, she was introduced to me by Oprah, I think, a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Before Oprah yeah. went off the mm-hmm. air, she was she was still referencing Toni Morrison. And um, and I've. I don't know if I've seen any of her work turned into a movie. Did she make Queen at all? Beloved. Beloved. Okay. So maybe I've seen that. With but... Oprah. Yes. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. But no, I haven't. I want to read her. Her, She's on my list and Octavia Butler's on my list right now. I can't hear enough about her. She does more sci-fi, but just like examining mm-hmm. race. It's the same kind of thing. And, you know, not just race, but... um being a woman or being a person that's disadvantaged or being a marginalized person, you know, those are themes in Octavia's work as well. So, yeah. Let me tell you something. 
I would never have known if like Oprah and like my friend Zawadi hadn't told, like, I remember her saying, I forgot what I was reading. And she was like, try this, try something else, please. <laughs> and I was like, okay. No, and I, yeah, good. I, I was like, why don't I know about her? And then once you read one book, you have to read all of her. She's, she's my favorite. She's like, hands down. She's like, I mean, she's just, I don't have the adjectives. I wish I had them for you, but (laughs) black women are at the center of her stories. Yes. Women Mm -hmm. are at the center of her stories and their pain and their their struggle and their story is so um intention in her books that mm-hmm. you walk away from her books changed actually yes Ooh. and wow. it's so vulnerable too mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. here's the thing also about her books they're unapologetically black and they're not underneath the white gaze so this was done at a time when a lot of our stories were told where white people have to be in it or it's sort of, you know, like our pain is because of white, you know, it's it's just our story. And they just may happen to be in it, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's really mm-hmm. ours. And it has, it has a lot of allegory. Look at me. <laughs> I feel so good about saying allegory, but um, and foreshadowing, yeah, and spiritualness, and yes, and you know, like Song of Solomon, Beloved, all of these things. I mean, it's just like, oh, you gotta, yes, please, Abby, take a take that bluest bluest eyes is a good one to start with mm-hmm. and then just you're gonna go down a rabbit hole of all her books and the oh, reason yes. i bring this I up i love is, my library uh library card for that very reason thank god the you reason still you have brought this mayor up mayor adams and his ass trying, you know what he's trying to do <laughs> so Penella schools removed books by prize-winning author tony morrison and this is in florida this is written by tampa bay times jeffrey s solochek the county high school, Pinella, I don't know if I'm saying it right, school students no longer will have access to Tony Morrison's first book, The Bluest Size, in their classrooms or libraries. School district officials announced Tuesday that they had removed the title from circulation after a review prompted by a complaint, get this, of a parent. Of course. Not parents. Oh, of one single parent. Yeah. At Palm Harbor University High. Now, this was approved by the State Board of Education last week as part of a new state law. And we know who did that. Ron DeSantis calling on schools to vet all library books, including in classrooms for topics harmful to minors. Uh, Fifteen is a minor. Zeroing in on books. Can you imagine? Books is the thing that's harming kids. How can you say that with a straight face? So strange. Exactly. Exactly. Bullying is harmful. Guns in our schools is harmful. I think you know? mass shooting is harmful. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And where else are they supposed to learn about their history? In school, where we send them to educate. I think in that article, Marina, they, some person said, I don't have their name, but 
They said books are not banned. They're just not available in school. The place where you go to get educated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little late on this too, but what I'm reading right now is the autobiography of Malcolm X. The one that Alice mm-hmm. Haley wrote with him. And oh my gosh, it's so colorful. And I saw the film first, but it's bringing the movie back. And it's also giving me more details because I actually know, you know, I can picture um, Malcolm X actually in this role and not Denzel instead. But it's, uh, I asked my husband if he read it. And he's like, oh yeah, we had to read that in middle school. And I'm like, they gave this to you to read in middle school? <laughs> you know, and and I can't, I don't even know if that's happening right now because of all this book banning or removing and you know, and I thought, well, I don't know how white people wouldn't feel uncomfortable with what Malcolm X says about white people. You know, like this, this whole the whole charade or the whole like argument of why these books are being taken away is because they don't the parents don't want their children to feel uncomfortable. But from what I've seen on TikTok, the kids don't feel uncomfortable. It's them talking to their parents about it. And the parents don't like it thrown in their face, you know, of because they got to get whitewashed and ignore it and, you know, digest it in a different way. And now that their kids are, you know, exposed to a global understanding of how race is, or how white supremacy is impacting the world, then uh, then it's the parents that are like, oh, maybe you shouldn't learn about that. You're so right, though, Abby. Now, in Florida, what's happening is the policies on books and the controversial materials which were approved, some board members signaled their discomfort saying the state had placed them in a difficult position. Board member Caprice Edmond lamented that the concepts of state put forth for judging materials are vague and subject to interpretation, creating troubles for educators. So it just takes one parent. But this must have been happening since Martin Luther King was since before he was marching, before people were sitting in at counters, you know, like there had to be parents complaining we don't want this. Do we, anytime there was like an advancement, I'm sure there was a pushback like this. So I don't know what this pushback is in response to Barack Obama. It's a little late. No, it's 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 a response to what they call woke. Oh, yeah. Black Lives Matter. It's, it's and a Black response Lives. to George Floyd, probably. Oh, goodness. Black Lives it. Matter. And also their children coming home. I said this on the last podcast, but their children coming home and saying, I don't understand why I didn't get this in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was coming up in Brooklyn, uh, junior high school and even elementary school, our school was a predominantly black and Hispanic school. So we learned all about Dr. King and the civil rights movement and, you know, had books about Toni Morrison and and all about you know, our history telling our story. So I don't know. We didn't have an issue. There was no complaints about the material. (laughs) It was taught in a educational way where we could understand it at our age level. But I don't know what was going on in, say, the other schools that were not predominantly Black or Hispanic. Well, I went to school in Indianapolis. I remember in grade school, this is the 80s, every, for Martin Luther King Day, to celebrate it, we would sing We Shall Overcome the, the the classrooms would like collect each classroom via the door. Kids would hold hands. We'd all sing. It was very moving. We'd make our way to the auditorium. And I remember that three different years. So I know they would do it annually. And I wonder if they still even do that. Now, this school was, you know, it was racially mixed with black and white. There was a few other races in there, but um, but it was a public school and it was in Indianapolis in the 80s. So 
you know, I just didn't, I, maybe I was in a different kind of bubble, but it just seemed like I was shielded from any pushback from racist parents. And my mom was white, so she was always trying to call people out for being bigoted against her black daughters. But still, I don't know what happened or what's why why people are feeling so emboldened. But, you know, then there's the old Trump theory. Once he became president, people felt like they could stand for something. It's also that, like, here, I also wonder, are they banning? I know there's some books that are have, like, the Holocaust, uh, I forget which one it is, the the one with the mouse. There's a story oh. there. They're like, that's too heavy for children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of this is about preventing education because, you know, like I've said, and I've said it many times before, education is power. Mm-hmm. And you don't want people mm-hmm. to have power. But mm-hmm. I'm often wondering how many white books are they going this like, I remember being in school and going, Judy, I have a Judy Bloom book. Oh, my God. Blubber. And I think there was a book where she gets her period. Mm-hmm. Right. All of that. Yes. Yes. All of it. And we were all talking about it in school. And we we're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Like, is that too much? And I was in, I think, third grade, maybe. When our- There were probably fathers fighting against that. Like, my kids don't need to hear about this women's issues. This is too graphic, you know. And time for foot loose. Another <laughs> foot loose, right? Wasn't that what it's about? Burning the books. I oh, forget. Yeah. They just banned dancing. I don't remember them oh, about dance. books in that film, yes. but still, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's the whole concept is the same: censorship and shielding people, and it's under this uh, guise of supposedly protecting some sense of fragility but it's also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, it, to me it's it's strange because it's like you know what you're doing so just say it and they spoke about um a fear of the children feeling wow um or feeling bad about what happened to other races and religious people and um not knowing what to do with those feelings but you cannot erase history. You mm-hmm. cannot erase history. And why not teach it in an educational environment like school and have hear different um, perspectives and have parents even be a part of that conversation? It's right. our history. What are you replacing these books with? <laughs> okay, if you're saying that this is just a little bit too much, too graphic or whatever the word they use, well, what are you replacing it with? Are you just... Putting all of our history, the American history, are you just sweeping it under the rug? Mm-hmm. Well, to that point, um, Ibram X. Kendi, who wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist, I saw this in an Instagram clip. He said that against the argument the parents make about, I don't want my white children hearing about slavery and feeling like bad because they oh. are descended from slave owners. And he's like, why wouldn't you think they'd identify with the abolitionists that were white? Like, why do you think your kid would immediately identify with the monster and not the hero everybody, of the story, yeah. the way everybody wants to identify. So I thought it was telling, you know, it's a it's a good point that he spotlights. And like, I think this is you're showing your bias more than what your kids are going to see in these stories. Absolutely. And it's just going to make kids want it more. I mean, it's just like anything. You prevent them from having it. They're going to want more. Um, Absolutely. I mean, that video of, of Tom Hanks talking about how he can't believe he didn't know about like the Tulsa riots and, mm-hmm. and I didn't know about Tulsa riots mm-hmm. until I was like, 
Yeah, not until like maybe a couple of years ago. Maybe like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Or when I started the podcast, actually. I have I learned a lot from doing the podcast, actually. I have guests on and they tell me things and then I go, What? Mm-hmm. And I had a uh back then it was Sade who was on uh Gary Goldman's girlfriend or wife now. And oh, she wow. was talking about, did you know about Tulsa? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? And I mean, it, it's you, you, you get a feeling of shamefulness when you're like, this is my history and I know nothing about it. You almost don't even want to admit to it. But to admit to it is to acknowledge that America, if this is America's problem. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I, you know, it's baffling that they want to, the bluest eyes, in that documentary on Netflix, she talks about it. And it's funny to me that Toni Morrison never seemed hurt by the fact that they tried. This is not the first time they tried to ban her books mm-hmm. or they or they even wrote criticisms about her books or tried to say that her experience of the black experience is not the black. Ex- it's amazing that a. a um, in back in the day, a right a writer, a white writer would say this is not (laughs) 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 this doesn't represent black life this one does (laughs) and you see that little picture in the corner of a white woman going you know it's like no 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 (laughs) you know but she never what I loved about Tony is she, she never seemed to bat an eye at it she just seemed to almost enjoy the fact that her books cause such a stir. I such, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. And you know, you're getting through to somebody. Same thing with Absolutely. comedy. Yeah, I was just thinking about that with comedy, how I would feel if someone said, you can't perform here. They said your stuff is too controversial. I'd be like, really? <laughs> my, my general audience is comedy? Well, with women on stage, right, right we always would get... Oh, she talks about her period or she talks about men never would get that. They would never get critiqued for their talking about, you know, their sex drive or whatever that is, you know. But women, us talking about what actually is our bodies doing Mm -hmm. seem to be so dangerous and controversial. Well, that's the that's American history, you know, always. You, you're good in a couple of places in the house. We don't just don't speak. You know, you cook, you're in this room, that room. And, you know, that's just not the way it is anymore. And I wanted to say that um, she did win the Nobel Prize. And I think it was for the blue oh, side. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. she did win the Nobel Prize. And the book I narrated was um, by Nadra Niddle. And it's called Toni Morrison's Spir- Spiritual Vision, Faith folk tales and feminism in her life and literature. So it's a compilation of her biography and just her journey through all of her writings of, you know, I'm going to tell our stories with the most authenticity and whether you like it or not, this is what it is. And I stand by every word. And it was just beautiful, just a beautiful story. The truth. And you got to be her voice. You were reading as if first person as Tony sometimes that was the beauty of the book Mm -hmm. so it was first person third person in and Mm. out um snippets from the different books so it was just really um it was a a wonderful journey like a a theatrical journey narrating in my booth 
Oh, I think she's still again. again. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah I'm just gonna. I could tell when I'm frozen. So I'm, that's why I'm being more quiet. <laughs> <laughs> just in case. But oh, you had a good horizon. You had a you had a good facial expression though, so mm-hmm. we couldn't really tell. It was like you were really intently listen, listening intently. <laughs> that's the so acting experience. Tell. You know, you know how you have to like just you you just stay in the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so, and I, I don't know if I can keep this. I, I, I like the speed of Verizon, but if it keeps doing this, this it's going to be a wrap. Okay, so let's go to our next our article. This I'm sure, Abby, you have a lot to discuss since your podcast is about having to chat when she's away at school, how parenting today is different and harder. In the Pew survey, they said just one third of mothers said being a mother was the most important aspect of who they were as a person, yet they also said they felt judged for their parenting by friends or other parents more than fathers were Mm. and spent significantly more time than fathers on the physical and emotional labor of parenting. In recent Mm. years, the pandemic also forced many mothers to make it their primary role, even if it hadn't been their plan. So the article is about how the pandemic made parenting harder than ever. I mean, of course, it made everything harder than ever. It made living harder than ever. It's saying generationally, it's harder for these parents too, not just from the pandemic, but also because there's more things that you have to do as far as like navigating Mm -hmm. mental health issues. Mm, For sure. I, I would believe that if you just ask me, do you think it's harder for this generation than others? One, I think we are still encouraged to try to have a work-life balance. So whereas previous generations may have had to make a choice, you can either work or you can stay home and raise kids while another parent works because of the societal standard of raising kids means someone has to be there every day, all day. Now people don't have to do that. And sometimes people earn enough to get supplemental care, but it's still not, it's still not even like, even though there's like this new narrative of like, yes, women should be able to and can, and, and there's a way that can be done. Corporations aren't following through on allowing enough maternity leave and paternity leave so the dad can come in and help, you know, if it is a two parent household. Um, and pay, there's still a pay gap. So it's like, obviously, if one of you has to give up a job, it's going to be the one who makes less. And, you know, the one who makes more is not going to be the one that gives up a job. If, if it's again, if it's a two parent household. So just that idea, there's still a stigma against single moms. So there are so many reasons why now with a pandemic, if like there's like jobs are being lost across the country, businesses are closing, you know, you have less income than before and your kids are home more. So it's like you have this obligation to, yes, to tend to their needs more hours of the day than you did before, then heck yeah, it's harder. (laughs) It's just, Mm -hmm. it's hard because nothing has changed except the, uh, what do you call it? The headline, the, 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 the little, there's an, I, there's a word I'm looking for, but it's just like the, the societal aphorism of, yes, you should be able to do it. You know, the sisters are doing it for themselves. And it's like, but with no help from the rest of the systemic issues. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's my not, take. It's not really a village. Mm-mm. Yeah. And America is still very, very focused on the individual. So I don't know. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't find communal help, but like government assistance that would lend itself to 
a community flourishing together, you know, like with housing, let's just say affordable housing for parents. That's not a thing. So. I mean, you're saying that the financially they um, parents want their children to be more independent than to have children themselves. So wow. like, what they want for their children is for them to be financially independent of beyond like for white, um, they're like 88% white parents w- want their children to, and then 16, they want their, to have their children. White parents are saying like 16, they want 16% of them want them to focus on having children. Whereas 25% of parents want their black children to have children. So it's like, this is where the abortion controversy comes in because mm-hmm. white parents aren't encouraging their children to have children. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. and they're worried about becoming a minority because they're not mm-hmm. like, they're like, it's hard to be a parent. These are all the things you got to deal with. You don't want to have kids. And so now they're, you know, just not producing people. i'm just hearing a lot of fear that just even goes back to the banning of the books well i we have to ban the books because we don't want and we're afraid that even here now we don't want our kids don't have children or have children because we're afraid that we're gonna be just so much fear nobody's trying to take anything we're trying everybody's trying to live and be and experience life uh, to the highest degree that they can. Mm -hmm. Nobody's trying to take your stuff. Mm -hmm. But don't deny me. Yeah. Don't deny me or any other um, race, ethnicity, gender. Stop denying people their truth. Their ability to live and love. I mean, that's what I'm seeing. This connection is just fear based in everything, everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think when Eddie Murphy said at the Golden Globes, mind your business, I keep thinking about it. <laughs> Even though he was being funny, it's it's so valid for this year. Yes. Mind your business. Like, worry about yourself. Worry about your children. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Worry about what you're doing. Like the judgment on how to raise a child on anyone shouldn't be there ever. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel that, Abby? Have you had that when people in public, like, like I do that joke, you know, about the woman where I stare, the woman's yelling at the child. And I say, oh, my God, you don't talk to a child like that. And then she's like. Basically, she wants to kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> she redirects it to you. <laughs> yeah, she's like, <laughs> she's like, you want to raise my child? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> mm, I think every, I, I mean, my experience was that I judge myself a lot. I don't remember too many people telling me what I was doing wrong. However, there is inevitably going to be someone older than you that tells you your daughter or that your child is cold or too hot. Too many layers on that kid if they're pushing them in the stroller or where's the hat? Not enough coverage. That's that seems to be universal that someone inevitably will judge the temperature of your child. Mm-hmm. I'd assume you don't know what you're doing. But that aside, uh, you know, that the extra judgment, I don't even know. 
where that comes from, except that it's a, I've only, I only have one child. So it was my very first time figuring it all out. And I just didn't want to mess it up. But I mean, I think I'm that way with anything I do. So I think if you're someone who doesn't judge yourself for trying something new, then you probably will show yourself a little grace while you're parenting as well. Or you'll get help and you now have trouble asking for help. Yeah, it's it's got to be. I'll, I'll never forget my uncle saying it's the one thing in that there's no book on. There's no one telling you how to do it. There's no how to. You kind of have your parents as an example or or you try to do better than your parents. You know, I I'm not going to have kids, so I'm always envious that I will never get that moment of going, Mom, I'm so sorry I did that to you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I can sit in it and be like, no, you didn't do this. But, you know. Um, well, I've, I've actually saw recently someone say that Black women in particular are kind of cut off from their intuition and shown that um, they, they, you know, like calling on ancestors or trusting them, their maternal instincts, let's say, doesn't come naturally because you get a lot of, maybe because there are too many books that say, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. Um, and that, and also in hospitals, you know, when it comes to like a higher mortality rate among black mothers, because black women aren't listened to by doctors, you know, just studies that came out after Serena Williams delivered. It's kind of, um, it was just a, a reminder of parents in general, maybe, but specifically black women parents um, to be mindful of the fact that you're not getting a lot of support externally that you know what you're doing. And, and, and the other way around, it's kind of like you're expected to know what you're doing. So you're not getting a lot of support if you show vulnerability or show anxiety or show that, you know, you need help. So it's this double edged sword of like, you better know. And also if you have any questions, no one's going to help you. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's right. Cause they always see black mothers as like, they take care of everyone's children's mm. children. Yes, just that maternal instinct. Well, I'm not a parent, but Marina, I know that you're so very close to your nieces. Do you have any nephews or your, it's your nieces, right? It's all nieces, yeah. Nieces, <laughs> yes. Well, I have two nieces and a nephew, and I'm also their godmother. And I feel like uh, that's the next best thing. I feel as though they're my children. And so I watch my sister um, parenting them. Unfortunately, my um, brother-in-law passed away, but... Um, they, so they had their mother and father in the house. And uh, my brother-in-law and my sister, they were blessed because my my parents, my mom and dad, lived a mile south. And my brother-in-law's uh, mom lived, you know, a mile north. So she did have that community to help her when she, you know, had to go to work outside of the house. And Anthony was at work outside of the house and um, to for the daycare, because I know that that's so expensive, you know, and mothers are so nurturing and they want to have a hands on with all of their children, with everything, you know. But back to your original question, Marina, I think it is, it might be because, you know, the kids today, they have the world right at their fingertips. And so they're, they're always active. There's so many questions even if they are banned in the books, they can find it online somewhere and still read it and those questions will come out. So 
to be a parent now, wow, I look at my sister and I tell her all the time, I say, I'm so inspired by you. Wow, you, you, you're responsible for like three other lives and yourself. I'm just, people look at us as artists and go, oh my gosh, you can perform and you're this and that. But parents, oh my goodness. I, I, I just bow my head to you guys. Just phenomenal. That's one of the greatest jobs, you know? Yeah, I agree. Because I've, I've watched my sisters and the way they've handled social media. Yes. Navigating. Because I, I, there's teens now. I mean, there's a five-year-old, which I... But then the teens, you know, especially during the pandemic, every Thursday I would do TT Thursdays where they call me TT because they speak Spanish too. So um, on Thursdays, we would just talk. And I was like, no judgment. It's just you, meet, you could talk to me, say whatever you want, here for you. And I'm going to be that person for you outside of your parents. So you can just talk, whatever. And I remember during the pandemic, my one niece was like, I don't know if you noticed, but I look forward to this. Like she was upset. <laughs> she was upset, she but she was passion. like, <laughs> because they had nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was my niece in Chicago and my niece in San Francisco. And then I bridged the gap between the two because they are distant and they, you know, one's my sister from my other, my, my father and my sister from my mother. Right. Mm -hmm. Now they're best friends. Oh, yes. Now they yeah. talk now weekly. They still, they still carry it on on their own. Yes. And I, I just love that. You're right. It's like, because I'm not actually physically there, but I feel like in that way that I was able to do some type of help because it's not easy. I, I I see I see my other sister really having a difficult time managing her job, her career, what she wants. And then I go, well, when she comes, she's a photographer now. When she comes to visit me, I'm <laughs> I've caught myself going, well, where are the kids? She goes, well, they got it. She goes, they got a dad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's right. That's right. But where her identity goes, where does it go when she, you know, she is she just a mother now? She's deciding for herself. She wants a lot more than just being a mother. She wants to also have this career and really important. So, and to have that help. You know, so aunties and um, uncles and, you know, close family friends, it, it, we all work together as a family, you know, and you see the you see the goodness from that. Yeah, because you got to help this. These these kids got so much. We had a show where someone was telling us these kids have so much coming at them right now. More than we ever did, really. Yes. So like as far as the the mental wealth um, or mental health factor, that's where they really do need a village to help because it's like, oh, my God, like I'm looking at my my one niece. Uh, she's nine. Really wanted that iPhone. <laughs> I mean, she I remember talking to her on the on the landline. And she was searching through a box of old phones to see if she could get a phone to work as an iPhone. <laughs> I was like, 
You still got to get it turned on by your parents. I don't know if you know that, but. <laughs> I wonder why. Just to text or to use social apps, like play video games or all of it, you know? I think all, all of it. All of it. And plus she has an older sister who has her phone. So she's watching her older sister on the phone and that gets taken away. My, I've seen my sister like, because one of those TT Thursdays, I couldn't get in touch with her. She's, she was, it was, the phone was mm. taken. It's accomplished. <laughs> yes. Yes. So God bless you, Abby. Yes. Yeah. I, I think the scariest thing that parents are facing besides exposure to social media, because there are a lot of apps that you can control the timing on it. I think teaching your kid that time is a resource, a limited resource, like the hours in the day and their attention span is one thing that even I don't have a handle on quite yet, but I'm becoming more mindful of it. It's just like you cannot pour all of your attention into a device or keep it near your body at all times. Like it's all the way over there right now Um, because you're going to the way your brain works and the way these apps are designed is to like get your full pull your attention. And if you're putting all your attention in that, you're not putting it into relaxing, enjoying life, getting smarter in another, you know, getting proficient in cooking or developing some other skill, like learning guitar. There's so much you're not doing if you're just putting all of your energy into it. So what we had growing up, what I had growing up was television programs. And luckily they were punctuated by commercials. So you could walk away and go to the bathroom. That's right. But with streaming, yeah. you don't even have a that break, mental break. And so, so, good. so there's that. And I think other parents are worried about school shootings and like having to remind their kids that yes, this could happen because statistically this happens a lot. So I, that's the thing I'm most worried about. She's in kindergarten. I don't know that she's done a shooter drill yet, but when I see online parents talk about how disheartening it is to have to confront this reality and, and also feeling so frustrated that they can't get laws to change. Um, you know, to me, it's a lot like the civil rights era of like, I'm sorry that you have to deal with this reality. And I'm also sad that I can't get these politicians to make the right call. You said this a long time ago on our show about the violence in movies and that we don't pay attention to the guns in movies. And there was something I watched, even though it was pretty, it was a really great show last I was watching uh, on HBO, uh, of The Last of Us. Mm. But there's this one scene that I was like, oh, my God, just a wall of weapons. Mm. And I thought about you. I think about you saying that all well, the even time. in Stranger Things, it starts the the newest season starts with a disclaimer that says you might not like this. And it's, it takes place in a hospital that's got orphan children. But, you know, spoiler or just reminder if someone's already seen it. Um, right. One, there is violence against all these children um, at the hands of some supernatural kind of thing. So it's not exactly gun violence, but you're seeing kid bodies on the ground you're seeing blood on white walls and it's just like you know people need that disclaimer because it's like this is too close to home this is too real for people it was right after uvalde i think that that got released so yes they had a responsibility i think to put that disclaimer up of like you're gonna see some imagery so yeah i think but it's not just like the the prevalence of guns the desensitization against guns it's like the violence itself it's just shows are too much for me after the pandemic i'm too sensitive to that i don't want to see graphic detail it needs to be implied at this point even like comedies have it because i guess because you have this cinematic technology to make something look so realistic and that's a really fascinating uh skill that makeup artists have but still for me it's like i just would rather you imply it don't show it 
But yet the bluest eyes is the most dangerous book <laughs> for them to read. Mm. I don't know. The story of a vulnerable, dark girl wanting to have blue eyes is more dangerous than stranger things. And <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure that that same kid is watching every show on Netflix. <laughs> so anyway, um, oh. I'm talking slow because I'm so worried my internet's going to kick out. <laughs> okay. Since we, I said you should be on a talk show, I just put this article in here. Best for everyone that they move on because it's hilarious. This is the one I was waiting for. <laughs> Amy Robach and TJ Holmes off the air at ABC in the wake of their affair that has become a permanent one. They're together now. They're the getting divorced. The what say you, Abby, on this take? What's your take on it? Uh, uh, <laughs> the first, they're devastated. They're they're shocked. My knee jerk reaction was like eating popcorn, like ooh, uh, office romance that's gone public. Let's hear about it. But then, um, ABC, I think that's their parent company, said that this does not reflect our values. You guys are still officially married to others, you know. So even if you are under a separation. Also, I, you know, I think TJ had other relationships with people who were not his equal, who were under him. And that just looks bad. This is what I heard. I'm not sure if I'm right about this, but I think that the company was covering its tracks, you know, and saying we're not going to get sued because you made everybody on our staff look at you guys have a relationship and made them feel like their job might be in jeopardy if they told or didn't tell. You know what I mean? It's, so it's not just like you guys are entry level people. And you're doing this after hours. It's like you're in the office and everybody sees you and people that work under you see you and feel like they have some obligation to you. So that's where I think I agree with ABC of like, okay, it's a little bit out of hand, but, uh, but I don't know. I can't, I can't, I don't know about the moral morality of not dating someone where you work. Cause it's like, you spend so much time at work. If you happen to click with someone, I feel like you're lucky if you <laughs> meet love, if you find love there. But maybe that's just me being romantic and immature. And the reality is, if it doesn't work out, you don't have to see them the next morning. What oh, do you think? I shit where I, I used to shit where I eat all the time. But I mean, I've dated so many, but I've learned my lesson. <laughs> but does it always backfire professionally or is it just about emotionally? You feel like these people are not, you know, going to provide what you need as a partner. Well... Let's see. Has it backfired? Perfect. It has never back. They were always under. <laughs> they were open bikers. Okay. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Two of them were. So, and one was too young. So that was more of the problem than, you know, and they, so they were never really in the same space and they didn't have control. Maybe. And I didn't have control. I had nothing I could give them or offer them either. So it wasn't like I took advantage of them. But I will say like there was one that I, that it was kind of awkward being that he was at the cellar and I was at the cellar and I was new and he was older, but that was a little strange, you know, because I would come into work and that didn't work out for, it, it just made things. Yeah. Not that good. Um, but we outgrew that, but I would say like for this specific story, I knew he, something was up with that dude. You know, sometimes you watch 
certain talk shows and this dude I've been watching for years and I'm like something about him (laughs) (laughs) something about TJ man does he make eye contact too long or does he gently touch people's knees as he's interviewing them that's always a sign (laughs) it was something about his energy I was like he's sleeping with someone on the staff (laughs) I just knew it I said I was just like hmm and, and I you think know, about morning show hosts and I'm like, I don't think I think of them as asexual. I don't even think of them as having like love lives. <laughs> well, so that's funny. why that's why I think that they should leave, because I think that's just this. They just took care of this such a messy way. It's just messy. Mm-hmm. You know, I I can't watch it now and not <laughs> and listen to the news. I'm thinking about well, what's going on. Did the boss go through? Y'all still going together? Mm-hmm. And I read somewhere that they've been at ABC, each of them, like 10, 12, 15 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, why would you want to go out like that? Mm-hmm. We're the PR team. Um, and who wants you next to bring all that baggage with you? You're not just this renowned newscaster anymore. You are, you know, you have this, this, I don't even know. I just thought it was just so messy. I'm not in anybody's business to each his own. But I know who wants them. Out, Jada wants you... them on Red Table Talk. I bet you she's going to be like, bring your story here. Let's talk about it. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. But that's not their career. You know? Right, right, right. Sensationalism so is not a part of their brand. Exactly. But hey, that, that's a change as well. But I'm just like, wow, you, you had such a renowned career here now. Where are you going? I just think they could have taken care of that in a better way. We didn't need to know all of that. So I'm with ABC. Y'all going to have to go and we'll see you maybe in a few years. They might they might be back. You know how that works. Let a little time go and say about three years, three to five years. They may be back. Well, the public response was, don't take them off the air now. Now we want to tune in. You know, I never knew about this show, but now I want to see if they're shooting eyes at each other or if there's you know some subtext to what they're saying like i said no one wants to hear the news they have become the news now yes yes they're gonna have a show now you're right then but then here's the funny part Uh, we've said this before like once they have the show and everyone's tuned in and when that's over (laughs) all the love is probably gonna be like eh (laughs) this wasn't really a good idea was it (laughs) <laughs> who knows yeah it's hard to say does is it what makes it exciting the fact that you're not supposed to be doing it yes. i mean that's up to the yeah. individuals i don't know i don't know their relationship but right well they, also there was if a, it lasts if the relationship lasts we don't even know well there was a re, um it says here holmes sources tell tmz that the departure mediation was extremely contentious which one with one calling it a witch hunt that lobbed accusations against Robach that included her having liquor bottles in her dressing room <laughs> said to be a, a violation. Uh-oh. I thought you could have liquor. I thought you could too. In the green room. And then like, I'm like, it's like bringing your lunch. <laughs> but she showed like up to work drunk. <laughs> I know you're right. There's no reason for alcohol to be. <laughs> Cause like, yeah, what time they get there. Early. Those morning shows are hard. Yes, 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 yes. They're on the, you know, they are at the studio at like three, four o'clock in the morning, you know, so, but now we're going all into all of this too. It, 
I want to know what's going on on Wall Street. Okay. Mm-hmm. Leave that to you. the TMZ people. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, save it for TMZ. <laughs> I know. I could tell you about Wall Street. I mean, uh, I've been investing in stocks, so I've been a little obsessed. As soon as I, as soon as I log off, I go right to look at charts. That's good. good. I know. You're I learning about reaction. how to do it. My new obsession. <laughs> so, but Amy I'm and TJ, get- they're devastated. And they just, they can't believe this is happening. It's a big pay cut. I mean, truly, those those jobs are very, I think, financially lucrative. They're lucrative jobs. And and ugh, if your identity's tied up in your reputation and you've been somewhere for 10 years, that would be a sting to, to think that a company has your back for a decade and then they're just going to treat you like you just got there. I don't think that they were trying to be public about it, honestly. I don't know how it leaked. But I think that they should have done a better job of never bringing it to work ever. <laughs> exactly. Somebody saw them somewhere. You know how you go in the hallway or something. Right. Somebody saw you. He's trying to get a Keurig. Somewhere. Don't bring that to the office. So they are they are their uh their the fault of it. Someone was tapping someone on the ass a couple of times. I worked so. at, I worked at, for people, they had a, they were introducing a streaming morning show. It was, um, we would interview celebrities about their new projects and it was, there was decorum th- that you had to keep up, obviously, but we were, you know, we were loopy because we were either on low sleep or not enough food. We got in not at 3 a.m., but at 6 a.m., and then logged out at three. And so, so I would want to take a nap under my desk. There were just some things I did that were frowned upon, like sleeping on the floor. What you could, you could just go home and have a nap, Abby, but I'd be like, Oh, but it's right here. And I'm so tired. Or, um, I was, I was trying to be witty during the times we weren't rolling. So I told a producer, uh, I asked for something and they said they didn't have it. And I thought I was being cute. And I said, don't sass me, just get it for me. And then they went and told on me. They were like, she is barking at me and telling me not to sass her. And <laughs> when that line came back at me in the in the private meeting, I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. I thought I was being funny. I didn't know I was. Oh, my gosh. My, you know, I was telling, a, a you know, somebody who thought who who thought I was in a position of power over them. They were like, you are misusing your power, ma'am. And I was like, yeah, sorry. Most comedy mm-hmm. fails. So. Whoa. So that's a, a, it's a tense mm. environment. In other words, you really want to mind your P's and Q's. It's not easy for a comedian to have a job like that, especially if you want to tweet whatever you want and then mm. not be held responsible for it on the job the next morning. So, so there was a, it was a good little lesson for me, but it is for a, yeah, you just mind your P's and Q's. It's a very straight laced. And I did see alcohol bottles in people's dressing rooms, but it was kind of accepted <laughs> of like, this job is a little insane. If you can fly the plane drunk, fly the plane drunk. (laughs) I'm just saying I saw the bottles, but. (laughs) But, you know, it's also like, I mean, like you said, these shows, like you remember when they were getting on Steve Harvey because he didn't want anyone talking to him. Yes. He just Mm -hmm. needed some peace. And Mm -hmm. that was like became a thing. And then they outed him. And now Ellen is like an asshole. All the stories about Ellen, it's like. I can only imagine in this day and age, like you really have to. That's what's shocking about this story is like everything that's been going. I mean, 
We know about the Me Too movement. We know about Roger Ailes. Like, there's movies about this stuff. There's mm-hmm. the guy on NBC. What's his name? Who's gone? Brian. Oh, Matt Lauer. Matt, Matt, Matt Lauer. Yeah. Like, you got all this information telling you what's going to happen. Right. And yet you do it. That's <laughs> the fact right there. It's like, what made you go, we're going to, this is going to be okay and we're going to get away. When you can't even say what you just said to the, you were joking. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's, you're tiptoeing around these people now. You can't even, like if you, like a makeup artist, you can almost see it in their eyes when you say something a little bit too snippy. You can see them going, their eyes are, re, it's like HR is in the eyeballs, you know? So, like, you had to be drinking to think you could get away with this. Right. I mean, right. it is alcoholic behavior. Very much so. <laughs> Maybe all that's right. how it all started. One happy hour. Yes. Yes. Keep Harlan. And, oh, and here's the other thing that I'm sure is because he's a black man and she's a white woman. I am sure mm. that is another part of this story that is like underneath brewing the whole yeah. thing that no one's touching. But I am sure. All right. <laughs> keep Harlem Harlem. So I put this story in because I'm obsessed with this. This is my thing right now. And, you know, I. I was telling you guys, like, I live above this restaurant that's white-owned that was creating all these problems and noise and all this stuff, and everyone was calling me a black Karen, you know. But here's the thing, is, like, the stuff that's happening in Harlem right now is so unreported, mm. and and that's why I always talk about it. The gentrification? So the word gentrification has changed for me. It's now displacement. Mm-hmm. Um, which I've been, been educated on because I go to these community board meetings. Yes, I have nothing else to do. I don't have any kids, so this is my child. <laughs> so how you my, get stuff done? Yeah, you show so up. Ta- I showed up. Task force, and it just started from a small little problem, and then I started to see w- ways that I could get involved. But this story is not everywhere. Um, and it's a major story that is affecting every place in America is the displacement of people who can't afford homes, affordability. This, this is what is in the headlines. So the Harlem community continues to rally against the truck depot that a retali- retaliatory. Did I say that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I just answered myself. A uh, real estate developer placed on West of 145th Street after council member Kristen Richardson, Jordan, who's been on the podcast, and the community board voted down his proposed 145 housing project. The most recent rally was held in front of gated trucks on West 145th. The group was joined by a public advocate, Juman Williams, who I love, who spoke on the necessity necessity of housing as the key to combating housing instability and homelessness or mm-hmm. unhoused. Richardson Jordan and developer Bruce Tettelbaum, that's his name, Bruce Tettelbaum, who is, by the way, um, back in the day, Giuliani's right-hand man. Hmm. Yeah, when you... When you dive, when you do a deep dive into these developers, you find out a lot. 
Um, and so these things are purposely not told to the public for these reasons so that they can, because Harlem is really one of the last spots on the island of Manhattan that right. is still a place where you can develop real estate. There's space for it or built up, right? Because everything, mm -hmm. you know, Harlem is still not like a land, you know, you don't see these tall high rises and stuff like that in Harlem. You still, it still feels very green and neighborhoodly. And so these, this building that they were proposing, they said had affordable housing when in reality it did not meet any of the income levels of the people who've lived here for all their lives. Interesting, interesting. Which is the facts that they leave out when they report it. They say, the the guy goes, I just think it's so sad that, like, this is our problem, affordable housing, and then I'm just trying to help. That's what he does. Mm -hmm. He does a little... <laughs> mm -hmm. But, yeah, but the reality is, is, like, who are you trying to help? And so I had put it up in my story, like, the one was, like, $60,000, not in Harlem. There are families, they aren't making that. Especially right. not after the pandemic, they're not making sixty thousand, and that is considered affordable housing for that income. And that's not gonna. That's not gonna fly. That's not gonna work. <sighs> so he didn't get his way. Yay. Christina um, Richardson Jordan. She prevented this. It didn't fell through, and now he put a truck stop there. Toxic truck stop where you could just have trucks just sitting there toxic fumes there's apartments right behind it mm -hmm. and so the community is coming out against that and the most important part of the story is there's no real talk from politicians except for this councilwoman and Javon Williams mm -hmm. I don't hear Mayor Adams talking about it I've heard Al Sharpton maybe once talk about it once but I don't understand it anyway mm -hmm. Another one, just messy, just messy, just privilege, just self-centeredness. You know, when I think of gentrification, though, I've always thought of it as, what was the word you use with it? Displacement. 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 Right. Because, you know. If someone's coming in, someone else has to go out. To go out. Exactly. Exactly. Because what has taken over is not even within the price range of the people that used to live there. Like I said, mm -hmm. I'm from New York. I'm from Brooklyn. So when I, yeah, when I think of gentrification, I, I think of it as displacement already. And then the fact that you would put a trucking company there when you know, you know something, I believe there's a bus depot up there as well. I have family in that area around 145th and such. You know, and that's what they always do to um, what we would call low income or what the majority ground. of people. Exactly. Mm. And he's just a part of that problem. He's like, well, I'm not going to get what I want. So I'm going to punish you. Mm. I'm going to punish you for not giving me what I want. I think it's just so sad. And um, yeah, the politics, they need to make this more known to more people because I didn't know about that. You know, and I listen to world news. It's just so sad. And that's not going to just happen there. It's going to be happening everywhere. Everywhere. 
And that's why I keep saying it is because it's not just a story in Harlem. It's just not. Harlem represents a bigger picture for globally, actually. You know, and the asthma rate in Harlem is higher. Mm. You know, they already have in Harlem injection, more injection sites than anywhere in all of Manhattan. So the people who are coming to Manhattan represent are more than the actual people who are addicted in in Harlem. They're all going to Harlem or and I'll never forget they put up the uh when they were the asylum seekers were they were trying to figure out where to put them and a guy on the news was like send them to Harlem. Send them to their neighborhoods. We don't need this here. Mm interesting yeah now so abby do you see any of that do you get involved in your community where you are do you have time for that i mean i just vote i can't think of any no i have some (laughs) neighbors that are more involved there's like a neighborhood watch on my block that's Uh, um upset about a new nightclub that's got you know people fighting in the streets on the weekends now across the street from us so yeah, every, that's as involved as I've gotten. That's my <laughs> shit right there. <laughs> have you have you gone to the meetings? Uh, no, because I'm not a homeowner here. I'm just a renter, but I, mm-hmm. I stay in the loop when they do have those meetings. And I, I lift up my window and I yell at like the couples having fights or the people who are, you know, getting a little hot headed. I'm like, there's babies sleeping on this block. This is a family street. It doesn't look like it. I'm on a very industrial block <laughs> that's got like marble you know, people that make stone granite countertops and, and car repair shops. But then there's like, it's dotted with a few homes here and there. So I think it surprises people to know. Otherwise, people will just go to the bathroom right out in between buildings. Like I'm across the street from a garage and I'm next to a garage. So I see why people would not think that this is a home. But <laughs> <laughs> it is. But that's as involved as I get is when I left the street. And, you know, I heard a couple. They were like, David, you don't understand. He's I do everything for you. And I open the window. I'm like, David. Go home. And she goes, yeah, <laughs> David. <laughs> but I'm like, if you guys are going to give me names, I'm going to use them. That is my oh pleasure. My I love seeing couples fight because you can always, I always know where the woman is. I can always see without even the dialogue, what he's done mm. and how he's not <laughs> understanding her from her body language mm-hmm. and his body language. It's the same. It's universal. Mm hmm. Well, oh, mostly people oh. are drunk and it's not fun. It's just, uh, you just wish they yeah. could just take it elsewhere. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what mostly. Well, what about you, Lisa? Do you ever get, do you ever have time to get involved in the community around uh, you? Well, I do because, um, I don't know, I guess because I'm older too. So, and there's a lot of uh, millennials around here, you know, just wilding out. It's Hollywood <laughs> and such. So I feel like the, big sister or the parents sometimes i'm just like why this is a quiet neighborhood you know i'm that person now i have become that mm-hmm. person and when they're arguing first of all i mean sometimes it's gotten to the point where i feel like i want to call somebody but i would never call the police because mm-hmm. now that might turn into something else and i just mm-hmm. wanted them to stop yelling and cussing each other out in the building mm-hmm. uh, but i have become that voice of reason of why is your music up so loud or can you close your door i'm trying i can't even hear my television because your music is loud and your door is open Mm -hmm. i'm involved now i get involved in my unions i'm going to get involved 
If we have a neighborhood watch, I'm just, I have become that person now. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I, I hear, don't they always look surprised? Like, what? My my music was loud? What? Exactly. I, I don't understand that. And I always say, just be mindful that you're not the only person on this block. If I can hear you all the way down the street and I'm at the, this corner, wouldn't your instinct just tell you that that's just a little too loud? You just don't live on this block by yourself. Do you just ever go, audacity. Lisa, do you ever go, I played Ice Cube's mama? Never. I don't want anybody to know of my status. <laughs> it was Ice Cube. Was it? No, Dr. It was Dr. Dre. It was Dr. Dre. Yes. Yes. No. No, you should just do lines from your films. I know. (laughs) I keep all of that on the on the hush. If they ask me what I do, I talk about my old jobs I used to have before I was a full time artist (laughs) because I don't want nobody knocking on my door. No, I do not have Dr. Dre's number in my phone. (laughs) Can I be on your next movie? It'd be hilarious if they were like, she reminds me of someone. Either that or you should come out in like a um a Gloria Swanson turban and like a fluffy robe and just be like a movie star on it. Yes. When I when my commercial will come on or something back in the day or whatever, or I'm doing a local play, I'm always like, Oh my gosh, is somebody gonna recognize me in the grocery (laughs) store or something? I haven't gotten to that level. Good. I wanna be the best artist I can be, but I want my anonymity. I, I I yeah, please. Gosh, but wouldn't that be great if you could just break up a fight by them recognizing who you were and then they apologize immediately? <laughs> there was a good part of it as well, yes. I'm sure Tom I'm Hanks sure has that all the time. Yes, I'm sure it has its um, benefits as well. But right now I'm just scared of that. The world is just a little bit too much. And, I know, you don't have yeah. any privacy if people Dr. recognize Dr. you. Mama, you she upset with us. <laughs> they might stop because they think I could go get Snoop Dogg to come out here and take care of them or something. Yeah, you need rose tinted glasses so you, and a white wig so you could be Dionne Warwick and just come out there in character. Speaking <laughs> of that, I would love to play Dionne Warwick. They, we need her number. We need her movie next. Yeah, I would love that. Do you know, Lisa? Your award is coming. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. It'll be good. It'll be great. Um, now I, I hesitate. I'm only going to touch on this for a second because it's so raw and it's so sad. And it's oh, wait, awesome. before you do that, let me just say, if things <laughs> get too serious, I brought, I brought Urkel. He does not sound the same though. He's, he's been through some things. Got any cheese? He asks. Is that what All he right. said? He said, got any cheese? All right. I used to love. Is that is that the baby's doll? This is no. This is Luke's. He just got back from picking up his childhood stuff from his parents' home. So he he's showing me all his his fun stuff. And I was oh, like, this would be good for the show if if it gets a little too serious. That's hilarious. That that's his doll and not the baby's doll. Oh my god. Yeah. Her. Yeah. <laughs> she does have diverse dolls. Now she does Urkel get a profit animals. off of that? Do you think? I don't know. Jale- I've never worked with Jaleel White, but I I think he's a very talented uh, performer. Anyway, I don't I don't want to cut you off, but I was going to say if we need to break the tension, we've got Urkel. Well, I do. I this is this is a serious one and I, you know, before I even say anything, I'm going to say that um for the Nichols family, right? I just want to say that I hope and pray for their justice. For is it Tyree? 
Is that how you say Tyree? I haven't heard it reported. I just read it. T-Y-R-E. I know I've been avoiding. I, I, this my big question for you all is have you chosen not to watch the video? I've chosen not to watch the video. That's one of the things that I think social media was really good at was alerting people to watch out for trauma watching and mm-hmm. for this weekend because a lot of times we just the, you know the news has been putting all these stories out and without you wanting to see it uh, on CNN and everything it's just re it's on a repeat and I have a I just I have avoided looking at it because it just I can't handle I just can't myself personally I just can't handle it no I don't um, know what the video has in it but it's it's like uh, JFK's assassination you could hear about it and you don't need to see the parade so I don't think that you need to see it to believe it or to understand the gravity but yeah I don't have the I do not have the bandwidth to after George Floyd to see another uh, videotaped murder but. You know, something changed for me this time. Um, I don't know if because I'm actually going into this production that's right. speaking about that when it happened to Rodney King or what have you. Mm-hmm. But I really believe in my heart, just where the world is today, I did watch it. I mm-hmm. did watch uh, one of the videos. I think it might have been the shortest one. I did okay. watch it. And... um I felt like I needed to watch it because it made me more aware. It made me want to help more, um, to be, um, I was already outraged. Now I'm even more outraged where I want to do something, not to hurt somebody, but just, um, I don't even know how to put it into words, but for me, I wanted to see it. Like, how could you, uh, why would you, how could you, mm. I don't even, I, like I said, I don't know how to put it into words, but I did watch it and um, I don't regret watching it. And I'm just so disheartened. It brought me to tears. I'm so um, going to send my condolences to the whole family. I want to send our condolences to just our society in general. That's, uh, I don't even know. I, I, I'm at a loss for emotional words whatever, but I felt the need to watch it this time. And it just made me more aware that I cannot turn away. I cannot. Yeah, turn I away. think that shows a good sense of community. If it was my own child, I would want to see it. I would watch it over and over yeah. again. I would, I would right. miss a detail, but I think, um, not knowing, knowing your limit and, and, and my choice not to see it yet until I'm in a place where I could see it is different mm-hmm. from turning a blind eye. And I wouldn't tell anybody that they shouldn't ever see it or that they, the news has a obligation to not show this or that. I don't, I don't believe that to be true. I think that, Mm -hmm. yeah, if you can watch it, you ought to. And I wouldn't listen to anybody that tells me that the, you know, somebody should be ashamed of revealing this, you know, because sometimes that's, it seems to be the only way we can have justice now is if it's seen, seen, seen and talked about because the truth has come to light, you know. You just reminded me that the difference between this and George Floyd is we couldn't look away with George Floyd because mm. we were stuck right. inside. So there was, I, I feel like there was even more of an outrage. I was getting calls from my white friends all over the place. Like, is this really what goes on? Whereas now you have the option to be outside and to look away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. That's interesting Interesting that you use that word. Yeah, I felt like I couldn't look away now. I, I, 
oh my gosh, I was just gutted that they would actually do that like that. And I know it's gone. This isn't the first time it's been going on for years and years and years and years. And I have not watched. And this time I did. And I am just like, I've never gone out to march when something, you know, some type of uprising or whatever, but I feel like I would now. I'm at that point. Maybe that's just me in my stage of life where I am right now. I just feel like I want to bring my person to the struggle, to the awareness of it. And again, I'm not promoting the move, the play, but in just that I want to use my craft and use my voice to not only entertain, but to educate and to bring about conversation about what is going on in this world, because we are killing and destroying each other. And so whatever I can do with my little scope of being an actor, let me take some of that, not just to entertain you, but to also educate you as well. And let's open up a dialogue about something. I want my work now to be like a Toni Morrison. This is the truth. I want to put this truth out here now to you. And let's go from there. I'm ready That's to beautiful. work now. Use my tools as an actor to a work now like a Toni Morrison and like they did, you know, during the Harlem Renaissance, that work that spoke to what is going on in this country and around the world. That's beautiful. I mean, that speaks to why your work that you, like you just said, I just realized it's going to be perfect timing and very relevant. It's, right. it's sad that we're still dealing with this. What we've all been asking for is some type of protection Right. And I think what people get confused with is the type of protection. Like we don't ask to be killed during that protection um, or a traffic stop. We ask for you to do your job. And then here's the thing. We on the what's the last episode, the one that's out right now, not the, the last one, but the one before with Christina Greer. She said something so powerful about education prevents crime on the front end. If we focus on education on the front end, not on the back end, we can prevent crime. We, this has been the conversation, but everyone talks about, you know, these units um, and that's what they're cutting back on is these um, score. It's called the scorpion unit and how they're dismantling that because of this situation. And it's like, let's really look into. And, and I think there was another like post from a young lady on social media who said, I'm just tired of this conversation of educating them mm -hmm. on what they need to do. How, how long do we need, how long does it take for them to get it? Like the body camera? Well, like what else do we need to do? It's obvious this is a systemic issue that we all as a community need to get behind and go, what is wrong? Fix it. So when we said to fund the police, as everyone was getting into this conversation of the linguistics, linguistics of that being impractical. Like, yeah. However, it did cause a, an awakeness in that department. Because when you start talking about taking away someone's money, all of a sudden, you have some real problems because it's always about the money 
And then so we're... When you look at stati- where the money is going, even in New York City with our mayor, he's taking money out of the education. He's taking money out of the libraries. He's putting it more. It's like, I'm not against cops doing their jobs. What I'm against is you allocating funds where it needs to be. And your idea of fixing the problem is more cops and more money for the cops. We're seeing that that Hasn't doesn't help yet. Yeah, right. We're seeing it. And I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take, but I think it's what you just said, Lisa, so eloquently, which is why I adore you. <laughs> I adore you, too, Abby. You did good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was going to talk about getting stoned and working out, but that doesn't seem like a way of getting out of the. <laughs> there was like an article that I saw real fast today where it's like, do you get stoned and work out? There's like classes now where you can like get high and work out and it's really good for you. But that's it gets not, you, we're not it gets get you to follow that. through on the actual workout. Yeah. I used to do that. I used to run high. I used to run on sativa, not indigo because <laughs> indigo will make you like run slow. <laughs> Want to be still. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but that's, you ended it so much better than I would have ended it. So thank you. Also, I just want to mention Christina Greer, who is a professor. <laughs> on the podcast as you know check out her article or check out the 1619 project because this is black history month right happy black history month everybody happy black history month so the amsterdam news which is the oldest black newspaper in the Mm -hmm. if you didn't know check it out google amsterdam news out of harlem she writes this article. She says uh, she shares her excitement regarding the 1619 Project, a new origin story by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Nicole Hannah Jones being adapted and released by Hulu as a six part limited docuseries. And it started already. Mm-hmm. It started on January 26th. So for your family, for all of you who are listening that feel like you're not getting it in school, you can get it on Hulu. Okay. 1619 project all right i want to thank you both so much for being here today you both were so awesome and you're both just so kind (laughs) that's what the world needs now you have that on your instagram right be kind whom which one lisa abby i do oh be kind is my yeah and i always have like this one says love i like inspirational sweaters (laughs) you both are just you're so, so kind. Such, such good people. Because we're artists. Artists are some of the most beautiful people inside and out. You Just guys tender. are a representation of that. Yeah. I like be kind, uh, wearing it on stage. Just so audiences know better. Like, <laughs> go easy on me. I'm here to entertain you. I'm not I'm going to attack you. Attack. Be kind. <laughs> Uh, I were just real fast. I told this one audience member I had gone through my whole set. This was the second night where they were chatting, and I was just I, I was doing well, so it didn't bother me too much. But at the end, when they thought I was done, I looked over and I said, "You guys really having a good time, aren't you?" Didn't realize you were going to come to a comedy club and reconnect this way, but that's <laughs> fine. I get it. And they were all happy that I said that. And I said, "But for the." Rest of the show, please shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) So with that note, we got to get out. Um, Abby, tell our listeners and viewers where they can find you 
Right. Um, I will be in your podcast, your, your podcast uh, streaming service of choice on The Kid Is In School. My husband, Luke Thayer, and I love to chat about anything and everything. It's a very funny episode. It's really short. And that's every Tuesday. You can hear me or you can follow me. Uh, you know, I'm even on Mastodon now, but <laughs> I thought like that the end of Twitter would mean the end of social media. But no, it just means I'm on more platforms. But Curly Comedy is the handle you can use to follow me on Instagram or Twitter. And then with friends like us, let me see if, if, if Urkel can help me with the friends like us, if he says anything helpful. <laughs> OK, with friends like us, it's always good to laugh until you snort. I love I love a good snort. Thank you, Abby. <laughs> Lisa? Oh, oh, this was such a pleasure and honor. So nice to meet you, Abby and Marina. Girl, I just love you. People can follow me on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, using my name, at Lisa Renee Pitts. I'm always there. I'm not big on there, but I always post about um, any of the projects that I'm working on and such. And I'll say, with friends like us, How can we not be our best selves? Mm. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. I'm trying. I'm trying, Lisa. Thank you. Yes. Well, I'm here to support it. Yes. Marina Franklin here. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. I will be at the Vermont. Vermont. You know, I love I love Vermont so much. It's one of my guilty little pleasures is I love Vermont. I know it's mostly white, but it's as far as white people go, they're good whites. So (laughs) Vermont, March 2nd through the 4th at the Vermont Comedy Club. If you're in the Vermont area or anywhere around it, you're going to college there or something, come check me out. March 2nd through the 4th. And I'll be on tour with Sarah Silverman, but those dates are later. So go to the Vermont one first. If you are a fan of Friends Like Us, Please support us by joining our Patreon page and subscribing. I don't do any ads. So that means that the way you join us and subscribe, that really helps me out. And also, if you're a Golden member, you get to come backstage and watch this recording, the one that we just did live. And you get to comment. We missed you, TV, today. We missed you. And Stacy, she ain't here. So thank you so much. And with friends like us... You can have two amazing women to help you be kind. Thank you. <laughs> Three amazing women. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, including myself. Check us, Check us, us out. out. <laughs>